Father, that is our prayer this afternoon. Lord, please, would we see something of who you truly are from your word. Please, would you speak to us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Well, we're going to turn to the book of um, Malachi. Um, If you've got a Bible, it would be great if you turn to it. If you haven't got a Bible, there's some on the table at the back. Um, If you'd like one, raise, raise a hand and... James will willingly run one to you um, if anyone wants a Bible or find it on your phone. But we're working our way through um, this, this book of Malachi. It's what we always do as a church. We try and take a book of the Bible and just work our way through it. We're looking at Malachi and we've got to chapter 2 and verse 10. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 10. So let me read uh, verses 10 to 16. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence To the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. All right. I wonder if I was to ask you, um, as you walked in today, before you knew what we were preaching on, what is the most disappointing book in the Bible? Uh, Imagine this question you were confronted with. I think probably most of us would have gone, disappointing? I don't think there is a disappointing book in the Bible. Surely they're all terrific, aren't they? Well, I want to try and argue um, this afternoon that the book of Malachi is the most disappointing book in the Bible. And it's supposed to be. In other words, the disappointment that you're supposed to feel as you read the book of Malachi is an intentional disappointment that is supposed to do something in you and drive you somewhere that you really need to go. So this afternoon, I really want to disappoint you, (laughs) because then you'll be ready to see something truly beautiful. Now, why do I say Malachi is so disappointing? Well, let let me tell you why. It's because the book of Malachi comes at the very end of the Old Testament. So you've got all of this, right? You've had all of this bit of the Bible so far. So much has happened. So much wonderful things. So many wonderful things. So much story has already happened in the book of Malachi. 
And one of the things that we've seen in the book of Malachi, in the Bible, is that God's people, this nation of Israel or this nation of Judah, was chosen by God. They were precious to him. They were to be his holy people. And he brought them out of slavery and he brought them into this beautiful land where they lived. But the trouble was they kept on being unfaithful to him. They kept on ignoring him and rebelling against him. And so what God did was he gave, sent them loads of prophets. Guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and all these prophets. And they all basically, I'm very loud. Can you turn me down a little bit so I feel very boomy? Um, these prophets were all basically sent to God's people with one message, which is you've been unfaithful to the covenant. God made a promise to you, and you've broken his covenant. In a sense, God married you. He took you as his people to love you, and you've been unfaithful to him. You've run off after other gods. And so you've got all these prophets Until eventually God says, particularly through a prophet called Jeremiah, right, you're going into exile. So you're going to take them out of the land to Babylon. They're in the place of punishment and they're there for 70 years. And then eventually they're brought back to the land. That's exciting. Their punishment has been paid for. They're back in the land. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. They rebuild the city. And you get prophets like Haggai and Zechariah who are saying to the people, let's go, let's build. And then you get Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, you read it and you go, what? Why are we back here? Because it reads just like the prophets before they went into exile. And what you discover is that there is still a problem deep in the heart of the people and in the PA system. <laughs> Can we just switch microphones? Yeah, yeah. I'll try Mike's mic. It's all right. Here we go. So you discover there's still a problem. Is there still a problem? No, good, right. So you discover there's still a problem in the heart of the people. And so let's just look down. At the passage you just read, in six verses, the same word comes up five times. You've got it in verse 10. You're being unfaithful to one another. Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. And then you get it down in verse 14. You have been unfaithful to her, to the wife of your youth. Again in verse 15, do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And then the very last verse, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. It's pretty clear what Malachi is saying. He's saying to the people, do not be unfaithful. That's the problem that still persists in the people. And you should be disappointed about that. That after all that God has done, after everything that's happened, they're still unfaithful. Nothing has changed. It's so disappointing. And of course, that's because this is not the end of the story. 
Because if you turn over the next page, you'll see a blank page that says the New Testament. Because that disappointment is supposed to set you up for a glorious reality that's coming. Because the people are not faithful. The people have a problem deep in their hearts that can only be solved by something new. Something better. Something more glorious. But you've got to feel the disappointment. You see, if you think that things are basically okay, then you turn over the page and go, oh, what do we need a New Testament for? But when you see that things are not okay, you go, there must be, yes, there's a New Testament. So we need to feel the disappointment. And then we'll sneak into the New Testament for a little peek. (laughs) So here we go then, unfaithfulness. Let's talk about unfaithfulness. And you'll notice that twice it says, be on your guard against unfaithfulness. Be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Why, Why does he warn you about being on your guard? Well, presumably you need to be on your guard because there's a danger. If I said you be on your guard of lions in the playground out there, That'd be weird because there are no lions in the playground out there. Right? I don't warn you about something that's not a danger. I might say be on your guard about tripping over the flower pot, which is less dramatic, but it's a real danger. And so what God is warning his people is there's a real danger here. Be on your guard against unfaithfulness. So why is it that human hearts tend towards unfaithfulness? That is it. Why is it we tend as human beings, to not be faithful to what we say. My guess is that not one person in this room sitting there going, oh, I haven't got a clue what he's talking about. You know what it's like to be unfaithful. To make a promise, but then not follow it through. To have a good intention, but then not to see it out. Why, does faithful, un, why is faithfulness so hard? That's what we really need to dig into. And the reason, as I've mulled on it this week, and as I've prayed about it this week, and this has been very convicting for me, the reason I think unfaithfulness is a danger is is because it's so costly to be faithful. It's really costly to be faithful. To be loyal really costs. And we live in a culture at the moment that basically says to you, you are entitled to whatever you want. You are entitled to be happy. You are entitled to be satisfied. Okay, here's an interesting question. Uh, Probably not. Here's a question. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, still think you'll be doing the job you're doing now in the place you're doing it, in 20 years' time. How do you feel about that as a reality? You know, it's ridiculous. No one does that. But if you'd gone back 50 years, everybody did that. Everybody did that. Because that was the way things were. My dad taught in the same school for 28 years as a teacher. But we live in a culture that says, no, you, you move on. Now, look, I'm not having a go. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that you need to understand that we have in a culture that basically says, when things are getting tough, you just look for something else. You move on. Because faithfulness 
is really costly. Now, there's nothing wrong with moving jobs. That's an okay thing. But there are places where it's not an okay thing to be unfaithful. And because we have this intense pressure that says, you should be happy, you should be happy, when things go wrong, we just look for a way out. So here I am in a church, and it's great, and we're having a happy time, and then suddenly something goes wrong. Something's hard in the church. But it's a case, it's London, right? London's got loads of churches. So this, this is easy. We just go and find another one. You see, it's so easy for this mentality to slip in. In our friendships with one another, this friend's great, we have such a fun time, oh, it's such a laugh, it's such a laugh. Oh no, they're really ill. Now it's going to cost me to continue to be their friend. I mean, even the stupid loyalty card scheme, right? I got loyalty cards. I mean, I, I know they're getting out of fashion now. But back, back in the heyday of loyalty cards, I had like five loyalty cards in my wallet. Can, can you not see how that completely undermines the whole concept of a loyalty card? I've got five. <laughs> and I'll just see which one's doing the best offers. You see, a loyalty, true loyalty to a supermarket is not going because it's got the best op- offers. It's going when they stack their prices up and you say, but I'm still going to be committed to you. Because I love you, Sainsbury's. <laughs> and that's what it's like, right? Faithfulness is tested not in the easy times, not in the good times, but when it's under pressure, when it's costly. And actually, the reality is that most of us instinctively, when the pressure comes, when it gets costly, we look for a way out, we look for something easier. Because, hey, we all deserve to be happy, don't we? And so why would I suffer? And this entitlement, if I push it a little bit further, this entitlement has at its roots a sense that I deserve to be treated differently to other people. So when I am unfaithful to someone, I don't want them to be unfaithful to me. So I might let them down in some way, but I'll get really annoyed if they let me down. Why do we do that? Well, because somehow we sort of justify it in our heads. Yeah, but I'm busy. You know, I couldn't do it. I had something else to do. It was important. And so what we tend to do is we tend to have a superiority, a sense of superiority that means that we think that we have a right to act this way. And that others sort of owe us. And so what God, I'm setting all this up because we're going to dig into this as we go through this passage now. So let's look now into the passage and see unfaithfulness, right? And the interesting thing in the book of Malachi is that the unfaithfulness that he unpicks here is a horizontal unfaithfulness. So what's going on in Malachi? Let's, let's, um, Let's think about this carefully. What's going on in Malachi is that they are disconnecting the vertical and the horizontal. And so they're still going to the altar, to the altar and offering offerings to God. They're still praying. They're still coming to God in some form of worship. We saw last week it was half-hearted and pathetic, but they were still coming. But this half-hearted worship has led to them disconnecting the vertical and the horizontal so that they can still think that they're being faithful to God and yet they're 
being unfaithful to one another. That's what God is attacking. And in verses 10, verse 10, he sets up this theme. So have a look at it. This is why you shouldn't be unfaithful. God's people, this is why you must not be unfaithful. Do we not all have one father? Right, here's the thing. No one is superior to anyone else. You all have one father. We're all part of the same family. This is what God is saying to his people. You know, so here are my boys. They're not here today, so I can use this. Here are my boys. They're fighting. And what do I say to them? Boys, boys, what are you doing? You're brothers. You're in the same family. And in some way, that's supposed to make them think that they shouldn't fight. (laughs) And yet, when we are unfaithful to one another, we're acting as though one person is superior to the other. It doesn't matter how I treat you. You were useful for a time, but now you're a bit inconvenient, so I've moved on to someone else. We've got one father. We have equal status, and therefore we each have an equal right to be treated faithfully by one another. Did not one God create us? You're God's creation. You're not an autonomous being that exists in order that you might be satisfied. You were created by God in order that he might be glorified. I know that this is tough in our 21st century London to hear, but your happiness is not the highest priority of the universe. Your contentment, your satisfaction is not the highest priority of the universe. The highest priority of all of creation is that the creator might be glorified and worshipped and loved and adored. Did not one God create all of you? Who do we think we are running around going, oh, I'm bored of this, let's go and do something else? Who do we think we are treating one another as if we don't matter? God created you. And then... Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? I love this. Look what what God does through Malachi. He says to his people, look what you're doing. You're profaning the covenant of your ancestors. What a weird phrase. Why does he say that? We're saying to people, don't you realize you, you belong to a much bigger story? Your little story, your 70 year story, give or take, your story of human life, it's not the main story. The story of what God is doing, the covenant with the ancestors, God is saying he's, he's rooting them right back to Abraham and to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to King David, to Solomon, to these great, this great story that God has been working out, this covenant that God has made. And he says, you're part of that. That's what, you're part, that's what you belong to. And every time you, you choose your story over God's story, you are profaning the covenant. Every time you say, oh yes, but I want to do this with my life. When God says, yes, but I'm doing this with your life. You're doing damage to the covenant that God established. 
You see, this horizontal unfaithfulness, when we treat one another badly, like convenience, commodities, that we say, oh, this is great, you're really useful to me at the moment. Actually, you're quite a drain on me now, so that's enough now, thank you very much. I'll move on to someone else. It's profaning the covenant that goes back to Abraham. (laughs) It's a big deal. So I hope you can see what's going on here. God really cares about faithfulness. And do you know why God cares so much about faithfulness? Because he's faithful. He is so stunningly, beautifully faithful. He doesn't change. All the way back, trace it all the way back to the very beginning. And the promises that God made to Abraham, we still are part of that story that God is building through the universe. God calls us to be faithful to him and to one another, vertically and horizontally. But then what happens in this passage is we see two very specific examples that are happening in Malachi's day. So there's loads of application of faithfulness to one another that we need to work through as a church. We've got to be faithful. We need to think about that in, in bigger terms. But God does pick up on two and some of these are going to be hard for us to hear, but I'm going to, my job is not to invent things, not to soften things, or not to change things, or not to leave things out, but to tell you what the word of God says. So let's look at it. Look at verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by, now imagine you didn't see the next word. A detestable thing has been committed desecrated the sanctuary what is it they've done well they've done it by marrying women who worship a foreign god as for the man who does this whoever he may be may the lord remove him from the tents of jacob even though he brings an offering to the lord almighty let me let me be really really very very clear god is not against marrying people from other races. This is not um, about interracial marriage. This is about marrying people who don't love God. This is about marrying people who love other gods. And God's people had a track record of rather than having hearts that were committed to God, going off after other gods. And I think probably what's happening, and this comes up in the next bit, is that you've got people who are already married. So they got mar- they got, uh, they're, they're already married, they have families. But they see women from other nations worshipping other gods, and something in their hearts go, oh, that looks nice. That quite appeals to me, actually. This is quite hard. You know, dull life, mundane life with wife and kids. This is hard. Well, that looks exciting and exotic. And so they chase off after pleasure, satisfaction, what their heart longs for. And that's why what God is looking for is not a faithfulness of action, but a faithfulness of heart. He's looking for heart faithfulness. 
You see, the trouble is, over and over again through Israel's history, God's people, rather than be loyal to God, instead followed their heart's desire and chose marriages that led them away from God. Let me just read you um, one bit, just to show you um, what I mean. Um, and this is, this is from Malachi's day. So this is what was happening in Malachi's day. In Malachi, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, it says this. Don't worry about turning to it, it just isn't. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called down curses on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God? So however much we may want to avoid this as a reality, the truth is that God's people when they choose to marry those who do not love God, place themselves in a dangerous and sinful position. God is saying to his people, I want you to marry those who love God. Because what God is looking for is husbands and wives who love each other and who love God and who are faithful to one another and who are faithful to God and who therefore are able to serve and to love and to follow God together. But actually, what is beginning to happen in Malachi's day is that they're running off after other gods. Now let me talk um, really practically about it. I, this is hard. Okay, And I get that it's hard for some of you to hear because I'm married. And I'm married to a Christian woman who I'm very grateful to God for. I've been married for 23 years. I praise God for my marriage. And in many ways, it's easy for me to stand up and go, yeah, you should all do that too. I know that some of you would long to be married. But God hasn't provided you with a husband or wife. I know that that is often because sometimes the number of men and women don't quite match up. It tends to be the case that there are more women in churches than men, which often means that it is our women who find it the most painful and hardest thing to hear. Because it's hard. And perhaps there's someone then at work who takes an interest or takes, who, who's kind and, is, and pursues and, and wants to form a relationship with you. And I get it. I get that that is tempting. And I guess as, with the authority of God's word, I, I, I want to say to you, be faithful to God. 
And I'm sorry where we as a church don't support you enough and we don't support you as we should, but we've got to do this better, guys. So I know that some of you are single. I know that some of you experience same-sex attraction. These things are hard to hear. We've got to get better at supporting one another, at loving one another. We started that conversation last year. We had a fantastic morning where we were talking about that. We need to keep doing that. But at the heart of it, as your pastor, I desperately want to say to you, God's desire for you is that you would marry someone who loves God or that you would stay single. And honestly, if, if I could introduce you to people 20 years down the line who ignored this command, who said, actually, no, nah, I'm not interested in that. I would introduce you to people who would say to you, don't make the same mistake I did. People whose lives have been so hard because they now live in a home where they want to follow God, but their husband or wife doesn't, and they're raising their kids. It's hard. Now, let me also say, it may be that some of you here um, are married to a non-Christian. Or it may be that some of you here have... Your parents are a Christian and a non-Christian. When you get to the New Testament, it's very clear that if that is the situation you are in, you remain in that situation and you pray for the person, your, your husband or wife. You pray for them. And so this is, this is not to condemn you and to say, oh, you're such a failure if that's your situation. In your situation, God says, I want to support you in that and love you. And as a church, we want to support you and love you in the situation God has put you. But if you are not yet married and you're choosing who to marry, then please hear this loving warning. Here's the second big thing. Um, and that is horizontal faithfulness in marriage. So have a look um, at verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? So here's, like, imagine the situation, right? Here they are, they're coming to the altar and they go, oh, it used to be really good. God used to hear us and he used to answer our prayers, but now he doesn't and we're all so sad and why don't you listen to us anymore? But here's the thing, what they're sorry about is not that they've broken their relationship with God, it's that they're not getting nice things from God anymore. They're not sorry about their wrong, they're sorry about what they've lost, Right? This is so tempting for us. So I'm bothered about my wrong when it hurts or when I lose out on something. But it's not real sorrow. If you could have gone and seen them, you'd have gone, wow, they seem so serious. They seem so passionate. Look at them all crying and weeping. They must be so serious. They're not. They don't love God at all. They just don't get any nice presents from him anymore. And they say, why? Why, why don't you bless us anymore? Here it is, verse 19. Uh, sorry, verse 14. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife 
of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. So here's what's going on in in Judah. Not only are they running off after people who worship other gods, they're also divorcing. Their marriage gets hard and they say, oh, let's just divorce. They're breaking the covenant that they made with the wife of their youth. And God says to his people, don't do that. There is unfaithfulness again. Unfaithfulness within marriage. And God is appealing to his people and he's saying to them, be faithful in your marriages. And you may say, but it's not working out anymore. One of the saddest conversations I ever had, genuinely, probably the saddest conversation, I remember it so clearly, it was years ago, but I still remember it, was a guy who said to me, John T, I have fallen out of love with my wife and I've fallen in love with someone else. And he told me he was leaving his wife to go and move in with someone else. It was heartbreaking. And I pleaded with him and I wept and I was angry with him. And I said to him, how dare you? You promised. You promised. I don't care if you've fallen out of love. That was never what it was about in the first place. How dare you? Because marriage is not about my convenience and my happiness. It's not about my contentment. You see, you don't get married for as long as it suits you and then on the day it stops suiting you, you say, oh, fine, let's go and find someone else. God is faithful to his covenant and he wants a people who are faithful to the covenants that we make with one another and one of those is marriage. So listen, if you're married or if you're about to get married, then never, never break that covenant. In fact, look, let me say this as bluntly as I can. If you are married, never have sex with anybody else. Not in your thinking, not in your acting, not in your behaving. Faithfulness. This is why as Christians we should be ruthless not just about our behavior but about our thinking, right? That we don't let pornography and sexual temptation begin to take root in our lives. Listen, it takes root and it's so difficult to dig it out. And many of us have struggled with this, right? This is not a small thing. Many of us have struggled. And what it does is it brings so much damage into our relationships with one another because it is unfaithfulness. Jesus says it is adultery to look at another woman who is not your wife in a way which is sexually arousing. It's adultery. And God says to his people, I want you to be faithful to the covenants you make. Faithful. So don't fall for it. So the person in the office who invites you out for a coffee, or the person in the office, if you're married, the person who begins to show an interest in you, you just, you say no. 
You don't take the risk. Not in a way that's weird, not in a way which is confusing, but just in a simple way because there will be something in you when your marriage is going badly, and it will, when your marriage is going badly because mine has and does, and someone over here begins to show an interest in you, it's so tempting to go, oh, this is much easier. I beg of you on that day that you will remember this. And God says, don't. God says, I made you. You belong to me in body and spirit, everything. You belong to me. Be faithful to one another. And can I say to you, if you think that you could never have an affair, I think you're on dangerous ground. I think all of us need to be aware, be on your guard, that we could do that and that we could be unfaithful. Because God is the faithful God and God invented marriage. He created marriage. He loves marriage. Therefore, we want to honor marriage. Not honoring marriage at the exclusion of singleness. We want to honor those who God has, who are single. We want to honor those who are honoring God in that way. And we want to together as a church family be those who honor marriage and honor singleness. And together we say, let's be faithful to God in the places he's put us. But let's not. Let's not be foolish. You see why it's a disappointing book? Because Judah's a mess. But Jesus is coming. (laughs) The New Testament's coming. And Jesus is the one who had to come because of the unfaithfulness of the people. Jesus is the one who had to come to be the faithful one. Jesus is the one who had to come to fix what you cannot fix in your heart. Jesus takes your unfaithful heart and he begins by the power of his spirit to make you a faithful person. If you listen to this sermon and you leave going, yes, I'm going to try and be really faithful, you'll fail, you'll absolutely fail because your heart is unfaithful to the core. But there is a king, there is a husband, there is a beautiful saviour who so loved you that he died on a cross for you. He paid for all of your unfaithfulness. He took the punishment that you deserve. And now he says to you, now let me give you my spirit and make you faithful. You want to be a faithful single person? You want to honour God with your singleness? Then you need Jesus to fill you with your spirit, to give you power. You want to be faithful as a boyfriend or girlfriend, as a husband or as a wife? You need Jesus to fill you with his power. And I've got to tell you that sometimes you'll have days when you feel disappointed. Don't you have those days? Disappointed that you failed again. Disappointed that you've let God down again. Disappointed that you failed your husband or your wife. Disappointed that you've given in to sexual sin again. And that disappointment's right. You remember what disappointment does? It tells you you're not finished yet. It tells you there's still something more to come. And there will come a day when Jesus will come and he will finish what he started. And he will, out, he will root out of your heart every single spot of unfaithfulness. And he will make you utterly faithful. And on that day, the battle will be over. But until then, precious church family, these are the things that will tear us apart. These are the things that will take us away from Jesus. And these are the things that we need to help each other to fight.
So we're going to sing together. And I know I've probably touched on things that are hard. But God says these things because he loves us and he wants his people to be his faithful people. And we're going to sing together. Maybe you want to sit and pray. Maybe you want to pray with someone um, up by the back, just behind the banner over there. Um, You can go and find someone to pray with. Um, But let's, let's take, we're going to sing a couple of songs. Let's take these moments to respond. It maybe you want to say sorry to God. It maybe you want to ask him for the courage to live this. But let's stand and let's sing together.